Latin for the year of the Lord. Sometimes you wonder whether people still realize that. That it is, that it is really the year of the Lord. A lot of people live as if this is our time. And God is not really in the picture. That is quite a desperate thought. Imagine living in this world with the conflicts and the challenges that we are facing nowadays. As citizens of this planet and then to believe that this is our time. That, that can be quite overwhelming. It's a desperate thought. Even in our own personal lives, our own problems, our struggles, things that we face. It seems more than we can handle sometimes. But we know that 2019 was 2019 AD. And 2020 will be 2020 AD, the year of the Lord. We are going to look to Psalm 139 today. It is a wonderful psalm and quite well known. Probably one of the most well known psalms uh, in the whole book together with Psalm 23 and so there's a few numbers that are very well known and 139 is like a favorite psalm of, for many people um, and the psalm opens with the words O Lord and on a Sunday like this the last Sunday of the year uh, when we reflect on the past year and Anticipate the next year, it is good to begin our meditations with, O oh Lord. And my question is, does that come naturally for you when you reflect? Do you think about the Lord? David does, O oh Lord, that's how he starts. It is really fascinating to watch a small child playing like a, a one one year old that is not aware of itself it's just playing doing crazy things and totally unaware of, of self that is very nice to watch but soon children grow up and they become quite aware of themselves and soon they start to believe really that they are the center of the universe and some of us remain in that state for, for a long time. Um, but I think most of us have figured out that we are really not the center of the universe. We are not really that important. This planet will keep spinning even without us. 2019 is the year where I left uh, the company back in the Netherlands where I used to work for. And based on the long hours I put in that job and the energy and just the amount of emails and questions I would get on one day would make me think that after I left this company really struggled the truth is they didn't really each one of us is just one out of seven billion. And so we are about to leave this year, walk into the next year, and 2020 will still be dusty. 
we still will need to vacuum clean and mop the floor. And some of us will be crossing in the next year the causeway like twice a day. That is about 500 times a year. Let's read what Solomon wrote in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. This is almost depressing. Here's the preacher, Solomon, a very wise man, and he is seeking and searching out by wisdom all that is done in the heaven. Verse 13 says that. And then verse 14, he has seen all that is done under the sun. And the conclusion is, it is vanity. The Hebrew word is hebel, that means vapor, just breath, just air. It's, it's nothing. But let's return to Psalm 139 quickly, because we are going to look up today. Solomon is looking under heaven, under the sun. But David is looking up and beyond. And then we find out that after all, I am not the center of the universe. This psalm is not meant to boost my self-esteem, although it is used for that purpose quite often, especially verse 14. Um, But the psalm is really about God. He is the center of the universe. And that is why our life makes sense. When we read this psalm, we discover that God is in the center. He is the all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful God. That summarizes the whole psalm already. And we have um, these terms, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent Um, God so the all-knowing the all-present and the all-powerful God that's what we discover in this psalm but the same psalm also shows us that we are not just one of one out of seven billion we discover in this same psalm that we are uniquely significant for our creator God And he has a purpose for us that is everlasting. Let's read the psalm. Psalm 139. And I have a summary of groups of verses uh, on the screen. Um, So let's read it. O Lord, you have searched me 
and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So the psalm starts with this all-knowing God, verse 1 to 6. It starts with, O Lord, that is Yahweh, that is the name of God in relation to man. And then he says, you have searched me the word means to examine with pain and care to dig deep to explore to investigate so straight away you have it not just one out of seven billion but a unique interest for each one of us for me for all of us you have searched me and known me that is intimately known when I sit down when I rise up you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path my lying down you are acquainted with all my ways even before a word is on my tongue you know it you know it all together that means our thoughts our words and our actions 
that sort of summarizes all that we do, all that we are. He knows it. My daily life, when I rise up, when I lay down. And that includes my bad, my bad actions, my bad words, my bad thoughts. That includes the things I have not done, the things I did not think of, the words I did not speak. And then verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. <coughs> David is very surprised, overwhelmed. He said, I cannot grasp this. Not only that God is all-knowing, although that is mind-boggling, if there are seven billion very complex people on this planet and God knows every detail of each one of us that is enormous but to think that God hems me in behind and before and lays his hand on me that speaks of protection that speaks of love If it were just my outer appearance and somebody is nice to me, I would think, okay, he doesn't know me better. But here is a God who knows my inside, my very thoughts, and still he loves me. That is amazing. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This morning when we were singing, we... And, and, and you see the same thing in Psalm 22 where we read from you see Jesus surrounded by enemies and closed and you you see the desperation in this Psalm 22 it was for us so that we can say we are enclosed by God our Father now we are enclosed in his embrace you hand me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me behind can also refer to the past and before to the future when I look back I see a cross where Jesus died for my sins and there he settled my past present and future he settled all my sins what I have committed in the past even today's sins and in the future that's what I see when I look back. That cross, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. And when I look forward, I see glory. I see heaven. It's waiting for us, for me. And for today, he puts his hand on me. His hand on my shoulder. And you can also see in this verse just the recent past the year 2019 and today 29th of December and the future the year 2020 he knows every detail of it 
And then it continues, verse 7 to 12. God is not only the all-knowing God, He is also the all-present God. Verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And then he's, David is drawing this picture. If I ascend to heaven, going up, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the realm of the dead, so he's going down, God is there as well. If I take the wings of the morning in the east and fly all the way to the west where the sea is, from David's perspective in Israel. So it's really up, down, left, right, everywhere there is God. You cannot escape him. He is everywhere. You can try to hide in the dark. If there's no nowhere to go where God is not, then maybe just switch off the light, then he doesn't see me. But that, that doesn't work as well, because darkness is as a light for him. You cannot hide. Question is, what do we think about this? The other day, one of our Sunday school girls expressed something like this, that sometimes you wish that God was not so all-knowing. I mean, she used different words, of course, but it's a bit scary that he can see everything and that he is present everywhere. Sometimes you just wish that there was this place where he didn't see you, so you could do naughty things. There is one place where God is not present. Not because he cannot, but because he chooses not to be present there. That is hell. Verse 8 talks about Sheol, that is not the same as hell. Sheol is the realm of the dead. God is there. But in hell, he chooses not to be there. Probably that is what makes it hell. The fact that God is not there. He made that place not for human beings. He made it for the devil and for his angels. Not for human beings. But God, being a gentleman, will let people go there if they want to. C.S. Lewis said there are actually only two groups of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. That's the one group. The other group is those to whom God says, your will be done. See, David is like drawing the picture up, down, left, right. God is everywhere. I cannot hide from him. The question is, would you want to hide from him? Verse 1 to 6, he is explaining, God knows every detail. Does that make you happy? Is that comforting or is it scary? That's a question that we need to um, answer for ourselves. Then verse 13 to 16, God is not only all-knowing, he's not only all-present, he's also all-powerful. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, 
intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So here we see God, the Creator, who made me, who made you. So enormously complex. And we're still finding out about DNA and all these things. And the cells and life itself. God made it by the power of his word. But here, David describes it differently. We know in Genesis that God spoke and things came about. But when David is talking about himself being created, he's talking about knitting and weaving. And that's what I mean with this fact that we are uniquely significant to God. He just he he, he didn't just speak seven billion people into this world. He is knitting, he's weaving when we were made in our mother's womb. And then he also has a purpose, verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. He has a plan. And this is not fatalism or some heartless predestination. God made us with a free will, with a conscience, with a liberty to choose good or wrong and there's a mystery here because we are not made robots that just do whatever we are programmed to do we are humans with a free will, with a conscience with a liberty of choice and yet God has a plan and he will work out everything together for good we will turn to that chapter in Romans uh, shortly when we think of that we have probably a problem or I can imagine that in our minds a problem arises if God knows everything and if he is all powerful and all present why is there so much suffering that is always the reoccurring question and especially on a day like this when we reflect on the past here all the things that have happened in this world in our families, in the lives of people that we know, in our own lives. Why did this happen? Why was 2019 so difficult? Yesterday, both our cars broke down, one after the, one after the other. And you're really like, okay, cars do break down once in a while. But why both of them, like, send one to the workshop, go home in the other one, and then order a tow truck. You don't know why. But I also realized that this question why is nothing, really nothing compared to questions that other people ask that have lost their loved ones in a car accident. Or that have a child that was abused in 2019 
I mean, these are serious questions. These are very difficult to answer questions. I hope we will find a bit of an answer. I'm not saying I can answer these questions, but I hope that in the remainder of the psalm we will see what David does when we think about these things. To say one thing first, the fact that God is all-powerful does not mean that he must do everything that he can do. We know he is all-powerful, we know he can do everything, it does not mean that he must do whatever he can do. And that brings us to this word, trust. We saw this morning that Jesus trusted God. At the same time he said, why? Why have you forsaken me? But he trusted God. That helps me. When I realize that the one who knows God best, the one who went deeper than any one of us, he decided to trust God. That means I can trust him. But we will look at that later. Because these questions, and this is like the general question that you hear all the time. Why is there so much suffering if God is a God of love, if he is all-powerful, if he knows everything? Then why? I think this brings us to David's response to the things that we have seen so far. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David is thinking, meditating. Maybe it's night time. Maybe he's in bed before he falls asleep. Thinking about God. The God who knows him completely who is always present, who created him, who is the Almighty. And he thinks about God's thoughts. I mean, we have our own thoughts and we can think about God. But David is saying, your thoughts, God, are precious to me. Let me quote from Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David realizes your thoughts, O God, are towards us, are towards me. And that is precious, that is amazing. It is too fast to grasp. And you can just imagine his laying down in bed thinking about these things and then he falls asleep still counting God's thoughts towards him and then he says I awake and I'm still with you that's why I asked just now when he opens the psalm oh Lord does it come naturally for you is the Lord really in all your thoughts when you fall asleep 
and when you wake up the next morning or is he more like you're halfway the day oh I never thought about the Lord David falls asleep when he wakes up he says I'm still with you you are still in my mind you're still the object of my thoughts and for David that is precious but I realize that there are other Psalms in the Bible as well and that is very encouraging let's turn quickly to Psalm 77 because there we have Asaph and Asaph is one of the people I look forward to to meet in heaven I would really like to talk to him because he has expressed a lot of things that I can relate to it's a wonderful thought by the way that all these authors in the Bible we are going to meet one day and we can actually talk to them. You know, what, what were you thinking? What did you know? What did you not know? It's great, right? That is the future that we can look forward to. Where we will be with the Lord and with all these people. And one of them is Asaph. See what he says in verse 2. Second half. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I groan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. This is what Asaph was feeling. David says, your thoughts are wonderful. It's amazing. He is high in the sky. <coughs> Asaph says, when I remember God, I groan. And you can imagine God saying, Okay, Asaph, I know you're thinking this. Let's not write this down. Let's only do David's psalm, but not yours. But God is bigger than that. He can take this. He says, okay, Asaph, I'm, I'm going to put this verse in the Bible as well. You're thinking of me and you're groaning. I can take that. And we have friends up north in, uh, in Malaysia and they are dealing with a family in their church a brother who lost his wife in a car accident just before Christmas then your Christmas looks different when you see your five-year-old and your almost three-year-old son and the love of your life is just taken away like that I can imagine he is bitter. I can imagine that when he thinks of God, he is groaning. And God will lead him through that valley. I'm glad that both Psalm 139 and Psalm 77 are in the Bible. But when we continue in Psalm 139, he's suddenly talking about slaying the wicked. This is, this is the part that is skipped most often. I remember the first time I preached about this psalm, actually my very first sermon <coughs> ever. I didn't know what to do with these verses. I mean, this is such a beautiful psalm, you know me, and it's, it's like 
worship and, and all that. And then suddenly he's talking about slaying the wicked men of blood, depart from me. I hate those who hate you, O oh Lord. And you're like, okay, that's a different section. Let's just skip that and just read the last verse and, and that's it. I think when we talk about suffering and evil, we tend to look to God. Why? If you're so all-knowing and almighty and all-present, why don't you do anything? We start to blame God. David starts to blame those who commit the evil. And we, in New Testament times, after the Lord taught us to love our enemies, we don't have physical enemies. People with different religions, different views on life, they are not our enemies. Our enemy is the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the devil and his power. And sin is our enemy. And we can and should have a holy indignation against evil in this world and in our own lives. There's one uh, one guy, um, he said, yeah, they always say, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. He said, I don't have time to hate your sin. You hate your own sin. I hate mine. And I like that. We should look to ourselves first and see that sin is the problem of all this evil. We should not blame God and ask why, why, why this and why that. Paul directs, uh, David directs his focus to the evil that people commit against God. That is where the problem is. But I do realize that this does not fully answer the question. This thinking of this brother again that lost his wife. It doesn't help, in fact, to say anything. I think in such a case we just keep quiet. Don't quote Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Don't say it, just be quiet. And grieve with those who grieve. But yet we do face this question and similar questions. And we we cannot say, oh, it's because somebody committed evil. No. We still have our questions. And let's finally try to find a bit of an answer to those questions. And it's twofold. Let's turn to Romans 8. Um, Another very familiar chapter. And I would summarize it. Face the things that we don't understand. Face our questions in light of what we do know. That's one thing to remember. Face our questions in light of what we do know. 
Romans 8:28. And we know, there you have it, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestinated, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think one part of the answer, or probably not even the answer, but it, it can help us when we struggle with these big questions, things that have happened in the year 2019 that we struggle with, these question marks, we don't understand why did this happen. It helps me to realize first. 32, he who did not spare his own son. We can always put our question marks next to that question that we read this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should not never come up with cheap, easy answers. But the fact is, what God did was not a cheap easy answer he gave up his own son and although that does not answer my questions I can see one who went deeper there's this verse and underneath are everlasting arms that means that no matter how deep we go how deep our valley there will always be someone who is deeper. There are always arms holding us underneath. He will always be deeper. Our father gave up his own son. And when he was on the cross, the people said, he trusted in God. Yes, he did. He did trust in God. And that is probably 
the second part of, of the answer. We will never find peace and rest by trying to figure everything out. Yes, God has created us with brains and we can think about things and we should explore, investigate, read the scriptures, gain knowledge. But there will come a point where we need to say, okay, I don't understand. I am not able to figure this out. But peace is not found in figuring everything out. But peace is found in resting in the wisdom and grace of the one who has it all figured out. And he rules it all for his glory and our good. That is what we know. All things will work together for good. So one is we face our questions, the things that we don't know, in light of what we do know. And secondly, we find peace not in figuring out everything, but in trusting the one who has figured everything out. And then we go back to the final verses of Psalm 139. Because here we have David's final answer. I'm quite sure that he also had his questions. In fact, he wrote Psalm 22. And we applied it to Jesus, but David wrote it. He says in one, Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He opened the psalm by saying, God, you know everything. You are everywhere and you can do everything. And you can take that as a fact, whether you like it or you don't like it. But here comes his answer. In fact, he says, I know you know everything, but I want you to know me. I know I cannot run anywhere where you can't find me, but I don't want to run away. Search me, know me, and lead me. In fact, he says in the whole psalm, you want me, and I want you. That is a decision, and sometimes it's not easy in light of tough questions that we face. But we can trust Him because Jesus trusted God on that cross. He trusted God. Can we not trust Him? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this psalm. As we reflect on the past year, all of us have different thoughts, different experiences. For some of us, it's been a smooth year. For some of us, it has been a very difficult year. With pain, with grief, with huge questions, and with anxiety for the future.
Father, we know that you love us and that nothing can separate us from your love. And yet we read a whole list of things that will happen or can happen in Romans chapter 8. And we thank you for Jesus who always went deeper. That there will always be everlasting arms underneath. We thank you that we have a God who is not just seated on high looking down. But we have a God who came down. Who went deeper than any one of us. We thank you that we know these things. Help us to face our questions in light of what we know. Help us to trust you even when we don't feel like it or when it is difficult. Help us to look to Jesus who trusted you and help us to do likewise. We thank you that you will be with us every day of the year that is ahead of us. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. I put in the WhatsApp group.